You're listening to the What's If Podcast. What's going on? This is the What If Podcast. I'm Spencer Worth Davis. Ryan Copperwood has died. <laughs> oh! <laughs> so... <laughs> We're uh, we're moving on as best we can. We've got Robert Crump joining us today. What's Hello, going on, Crump. Hey man, I'm hanging in there, man. Yeah. Hanging low. <laughs> <laughs> you get any nudes today? Oh shit, every day, man. Hell All yeah. day. Proud of you, bro. Nah, actually, <laughs> <laughs> didn't today. Not yet, man. The day is young, though, man. What's okay. what? Okay, five in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. You still time? I'm still going to time. Midway Bowl later, man, to get it in. Tennessee's for two dollars. That sounds incredibly irresponsible. Oh, it is. It comes with a high price, though. The bartender is a gay dude who sexually harasses me on a pretty regular basis. Eh. But I'm saying I'm getting Hennessy for $2. How much is a bottle of Hennessy? Like, couldn't you do this at your home minus the harassment? $28. How, $28 and how many right? shots you get out of a bottle? Well, way more than 14. This is true. This is true. There's that. I mean, I'll, I'll bring you a bottle of Hennessy and harass you at your house if you want. Hey, I'm with that, man. You're talking about some 2K or something, right man. right now, dude. I'm saying. Nah, it's... Drinks be hella cheap, though, man. I look like the man. I can cover the whole tab. You're charging like 12 bucks. Yeah. yeah. Like, the hoes love it, you know? <laughs> we have Midway Bowl, which is in a random basement in St. Paul. Yeah. So maybe drinking at my house actually does make a lot more sense. Uh, tie in with our question today, which is, what if public education was really for the public... Did we not take children on a field trip to Midway Bowl once upon a time? Yes, we did. Played bumper bowling. Yeah. I do recall. Yeah. Less Hennessy that day, but. It's a little bit, man. Yeah. I had to tone it down. Dial it down the notch. <laughs> All right. So what's your, uh, what's your experience with public education? Tell, tell the people what it is that you do. Um, Other than being an ancient alien enthusiast. Which I am. I got the hair to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> um, nah, I've been in public education for. Hell, man, we started together. The 2008? That, yeah, that's, at Obama, that was your yep. first gig? Okay. First gig. Okay. Fresh out of college, was a political science business major, and got an education working in special ed as a teaching assistant. Okay. Um, Elementary EBD. Yes. Yeah. Emotionally and behaviorally. Emotional behavioral disorder or disability, depending on who you ask. Yeah. Yeah. Which is always bizarre. Such a strange diagnosis, if you want to call it that. Well... Yeah, I want to get to that later on. Um, and what are you? What are you doing now? So I currently or between two thousand eight and now, what are you? Do, have um, you been doing? I spent some time as a behavior interventionist, so basically working in the office. Mean? When Jamal got sent out of the class for telling his teacher to eat a dick, why is it got to be Jamal? Why Jamal can't it be Bryce? Us, Bryce actually would tell his teacher to eat a dick. <laughs> that is that transcends racial boundaries. Okay. Um, yeah, when anytime a kid did anything that was inappropriate in class, which can be super subjective, right. which we're going to get to, um, got sent out of class, and I ended up speaking with him. And we kind of coach him up on how to get back to class. This is what I need to do. This is what I did wrong. This is why I did it. This is how I correct it. Which, I mean, a lot of restorative practices, okay. which I thought was real dope because it's like, how do you get the kid back in the class without suspending him? And he has to right. repair the wrong that was done and be back in the community. Um Went from that, worked in St. Paul, which is the second largest school district in Minnesota. Then ended up going to Roseville, where I served in the same capacity for a year at um, an elementary out there, which was an awesome experience. It was really interesting, though, because it was a privileged privileged school. Well, you have experience with that school. Uh, we talking Parkview? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's my elementary PCS. and middle school. I went there second through eighth grade. Awesome, awesome building. Very hippie 
peace-centered magnet type school when I was there, at least. Same thing. Okay. And which was hilarious when I went from St. Paul, from Obama, which was what, 70%? At least, yeah. Yeah, it was primarily black. Which is funny because it's in, it's in one of the more expensive neighborhoods in all of St. Paul. Easily. Capitol Hill. What percent of, the, percent of those kids actually lived in that neighborhood? Very few. If any did, I think a lot of them lived on like Selby. Yeah. Near some of the subsidized housings and shuts. But they didn't, uh, I was bussing, yeah. which was very weird because the school did not at all look like the neighborhood. Right. Like, yeah, that was strange. So Parkview went there. Kind of the opposite end of that spectrum. Oh, 100%. It had been 90% white, mm-hmm. if not more. Um, I think, I mean, when I went there, there were handful of black kids, handful of Hmong kids, and the rest was white. I think all, I think all of my teachers there were white from second through eighth grade. Yeah, when I was there, there was only one teacher of color, and she left the year after I left. Okay. Um, and she actually had came from St. Paul as well. And she was talking about, the one thing I thought was interesting with her was she was able to manage behaviors very easily because she was used to the behavior she saw in St. Paul. Sure. When I was managing behaviors... And Rose, I got get a call. Oh, he's he's looking at me strange. I'm going to send him down. Are you like, serious? Really? Like you sending this kid? That's, to... that's a real. Yeah. And they're like, they thought I had like this magical deal with kids, which I'd like to give myself some credit. I am pretty good with kids, but at the same time, you have a conversation with them. They're going to have a conversation with you. You right. treat them with some respect. Like, yeah, well, should... and at that point, if you if you send the kid out of class for how you perceive them to be looking at you. Rather than asking them, like, what's going on? Do you need help? What's up? Like, that kid's not going to respect you at that point. At all. If you can't even have a conversation with me about what you think might be an issue, I don't trust you. I'm not going to go to you when I need help with something. Like, Yeah, you've lost them. Yeah. And that makes for a long How is that not obvious? Uh, dude, it's, and it, that's the crazy piece. It is not. How, how is that not something that teachers are being trained on? Well, you'd be surprised. So one of my other positions now, so I work, I'm still in Roseville as a liaison, cultural liaison. So I show up at various special ed meetings. Um, Is that for what age range? Is that like the whole district? Entire district. I love the position, but it's, um, it's difficult for me to do it well, just in the sense that like I'm, everything I do is relationship based. Mm -hmm. So when I, I work in the middle school there, I build relationships with the kids. That should be all aspects of education though. Uh, You don't, you don't learn from people that you don't like or that you don't trust. Yeah. It's not, this is not college where you can just sit down and have anybody lecture to you. Even then, you're going to learn a lot more from a professor that you like and that you respect than one that you don't like. Yeah, and that's I'm going to go with that class more often. I'm going to be more engaged. Even if I don't have a personal relationship with that professor, yeah. I'm still going to get more out of that class if I like him or her. Sounds like you need to be on like school board or something, man, on Department uh, of Ed. How is that shit not obvious, though? Like, I was never trained as a teacher. Everything I've learned is from just doing it and working with kids. You and me both. I, I mean that that doesn't even like that doesn't even have to do with kids and education. That's just dealing with people in general. Yeah, like you get a customer service job. Yeah. you have to deal with people. It's the same exact thing to me. It's like you. Well, and ultimately, I feel like education is customer service. The children are our clients, or they are our customers, them and their families. Okay. First question I wanted to ask you that that kind of ties into it nicely. Like the question. For the, for the whole episode is what if public education were really for the public? Implying that right now it's not. Who, who is public education set up to serve? 
And um, I, I, we could either look at that like right now, how it's set up, or in a historical context of like how the public education system originated and where we come from. Why but, we got our nine-month school year and all these things. Right. Um, well, I mean, if you look at a lot of what I've read, basically says, at least when we look at behavior and certain norms and such, it is white girls. <clears throat> white girls are who education is built to serve. Um, just in the sense that they're considered, and I'm using the air quotes, docile and things like that, where it's like they can sit down and they can learn mm -hmm. in that format all day. You put boys in that setting, you're going to have what they perceive to be behavior issues. Mm -hmm. You're going to have them fidgeting and you're going to get, like we see now, the overdiagnosis of AD, ADD, ADHD. Mm -hmm. um, but even if you look at the curriculums, you look at the history books, you look at anything like that, the perspective is all the Eurocentric perspective. It's teaching. I think a lot of things are shifting and they're trying to shift. Well, and I think a lot of things are changing now that there's not the reliance on textbooks that there once was. Like, I don't I don't know what your school or your district is like, but I don't know any teachers in my district who actually teach from a textbook anymore. Which is good. Those textbooks right. are trash. Right. And well, and they get updated, you know, once a decade, maybe. And it's all from the same three publishing companies yep. pumping out the same information. There's no incentive to make sure that any of that information is right. One whose agenda is it serving? Like you exactly. see, Texas recently moved slaves from slaves to indentured servants. Well, Scholastic pumping out George Washington Kids book with the slaves smiling, baking him a cherry cake for his birthday. Mm -hmm. Like, <clears throat> so I, the angle of being specifically for for girls is interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Like, is that based on like? boys or men would have been being prepared for more for manual labor or for, for military service or like where, do you know where that comes from? It comes from a lot of that. So if you look at the, just the historical framework of it, boys were helping in the fields with whatever kind of farm work was going on or whatever the trades were that their parents had. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there really wasn't a use for school. Whereas your teachers were female. So obviously they're teaching in a feminine way. Which I think is still yeah, predominantly true. Overwhelmingly white women. Yeah. Are the teachers in our schools, which is not a bad thing, but again, you're talking about what they're taught. Depending on who you're trying to teach, it is. Oh, I, I agree 100%. Um, I think, what, and they're just not equipped, and not even by any fault of their own, but even the, the teaching colleges oftentimes aren't preparing them for diversity or cultures mm -hmm. at all. Um, is that something that you get into a lot at work? With, yeah, and actually like, on all levels, Mark. So, I'm at Roosevelt's Cultural Liaison, so I do a lot trying to shrink some of the disparities we see in, like, the the higher referral numbers for black and brown students. Mm -hmm. um, and just the way that oftentimes kids of color are alienated without teachers even really being cognizant of doing it. Mm -hmm. But then I also teach uh, Intro to Race and Culture at a local university to teachers in a graduate program and talking to them, and they don't, in their undergrad teaching programs— which, in my opinion, that should prepare you to enter the workforce. It should prepare you, you to be think a teacher, so. right? I mean, you're, you're going to get, or you could get hired as a teacher based on that, so it should. Yeah, like you go get your license or you do all that through those courses. And it teaches about pedagogy and this and that and different theory, mm -hmm. but they don't learn anything about race and culture. And especially when you have all these, I mean, it's predominantly white women that are going in this field. And even outside of women, you do have white men, which I think is dope just to have that masculine energy in a room. Because you're going to have 30 kids, 35 kids in public schools a lot of times in your mm -hmm. room. 
And for half of those kids to be boys and for them to be surrounded by women and to be expected to behave like women all day, it's just, it's problematic in a lot of levels because you're, you're asking for the problems that you're getting. Yeah. Let's take a real quick break and come back and talk about the school to prison pipeline and how we got to that point. Definitely. All right. We'll be back in a minute with the What If Podcast. We want to hear from you. Send us a message. Email hi, that's H-I, at whatifpodcast.com. Or leave us a voicemail at 612-246-4614. All right. We're back. We're talking about education. We're talking about uh, what if public education were really for the public. And right before the break, we started talking about the school to prison pipeline. Yes, sir. Um, my background, quickly, I work in a juvenile correctional facility uh, teaching music to high schoolers. So I'm kind of at way at one end of that spectrum. Um, most of my students, if they mess up one more time, they're serving actual time. In big boy jail? Yes. Ah. Yes. Um, and I just wanted to look at like how those kids get there because it doesn't start as an adult. It doesn't no. even start as a high schooler. It, it I, For a lot of the kids I work with, they can trace back issues with school to kindergarten. We've seen it. Right. I mean, when we were working in St. Paul, working with one of our students is five years old is already in a full-time EBD classroom. Meaning at five years old, he's already pulled out from his peer group. He's with the group, uh, the same group of, what was it? Eight to 10 kids. Yeah. Max all day, every day, special ed full-time from five years old with a teacher in two Paris two t- teaching assistants. Yeah. So this kid has been identified by the time he even started school as different from everybody else. And at five years old, so his classroom is based more on behavior than academics from the day he started school. Yeah. And he's being suspended. Regularly. Regularly. For days at a time sometimes. So this kid is being told from the time he starts school, you're different. You don't belong with those other kids. Academics don't really matter. And we don't really want you here. And I think another huge piece is when you talk about removing him from the mainstream class, the way it was set up in St. Paul, and I'm assuming, I mean, it's changed in St. Paul since since they've kind of just integrated those kids. And when I say those kids, those kids with those diagnoses, they've integrated them into the classrooms, to the mm-hmm. mainstream rooms, which I think is progress on some well, levels. They St. Paul and Minneapolis were some of the worst in the country in terms of uh, identifying um, diagnoses based on or correlated with race. And they actually got sued at one point, ah. which is what spurred that change. That that makes sense because that change on some levels, it sounds great. But then at the same time, when some of those kids do need those specific resources that they get, mm-hmm. it's like you're kind of screwing them now. Yeah. Minnesota and St. Paul in general is actually a really good example of like what's going on throughout the country. So like in St. Paul, uh, across the whole district, black students made up 30% of all the EBD programs. And or, I'm sorry, 30% of the, uh, of the total population of the district, but were two thirds of all the EBD programs. Yep. And that's, so they're being identified as EBD at a rate almost 
twice as high as everyone else. And for those of you that don't know much about EBD, I guarantee you've experienced EBD students in your school systems. Um, I know when I was in school, I didn't know what they were called, but when I was in middle school, we had a special team called Hornets. I just knew Hornets, the man, them kids are bad as hell. Mm-hmm. Like them dudes just wreck shop and don't get in as much trouble. Right. Didn't understand they were located in a completely different wing of the school. I never saw them. Mm-hmm. They would be integrated into mainstream sometimes. So you've seen these kids you might not have known. Or if you go back another generation, it's like the class clown and the kids that got in trouble and got detention. Yep. But they didn't pull them out of that group setting. No. And and one thing I wonder about with the specifically with EBD because that that diagnosis across the country is applied more to black boys. Yep. Than anyone else. You see, black girls are on the come up too, man. Scarily enough. Mm-hmm. And then you look at a diagnosis like autism, which a lot of the criteria could overlap. Yep. There's not a specific set of criteria that qualifies you as EBD. It's not a diagnosis that you would get from a doctor out in the real world. Nah, it's it's really not. And in a lot of ways, it's subjective to the student and to the person administering the diagnosis. So you look at the separation of, okay, EBD is overdiagnosed in black boys. Autism is diagnosed at a much higher rate amongst white boys. Yep. Is it as simple as the behavior of a one culture being viewed by a different culture because it's mostly white people, often white women making the diagnoses. Is it just the same behavior being identified and categorized differently based on the culture of the person doing it? And so this is interesting that you bring this up. So these meetings where they do actually do these diagnoses and they have, you have a certain process that you have to go through in order to get these kids in these EBD programs. It's like initially you go through what's called a SAT meeting. At least this is Minnesota. So it's a student assistance team where they'll see, okay, can we put these interventions in place that'll help Johnny achieve at a higher rate, mm-hmm. right? And depending on what the kid's issue is, it's going to change. Is it behavior modifications? Is it like we're going to reduce the amount, the workload that he's getting and see if his work completion goes up then? Um, all depends. And then you just kind of move right along where they end up getting into these IEP meetings, which initial IEP meetings where they try to get the kid diagnosed. Individualized education plan. Yes. And also, there's way, so many goddamn acronyms in education. Too many, man. Yeah. And it, it's trying to keep it to a minimum, but it's intimidating even for educators, I think. Absolutely. Like you said, everything about this process is very, very subjective. Like there's absolutely. data that shows when students have male teachers, this is how they perform. Uh, I recently saw some survey basically talking just about how students performed under black male teachers. And it was higher than in, uh, under any other group. And I think a large part of this was just the fact that that's a perspective that they've never experienced, mm-hmm. right? Even for black boys, I know black kids that I work with in Roseville, they've never had a black teacher in their life, ever. Dude, I, I work in a setting that is 90% black students, maybe more. We have zero black teachers. And that I think is a large part of the problem. So now you have this this situation occurring where they're, these white women are referring young black men for emotional and behavioral problems. Mm-hmm. And where it gets really crazy if you look at the history of that, if you just look at the history of white women and black men from a United States perspective, mm-hmm. that's problematic because it's like these boys, you look at like Tamir Rice, who was how old when he got killed? 14, 12? 13, 14, He's yeah. He's a baby. 
but he was perceived as a man by these policemen. Now right. you put that same kid, like I, I work with a lot of these kids who are in these classrooms, these female white teachers, they don't look at this as a 12-year-old boy's behavior. Right. They see this as a young man. They see this kid as 18, 19, 20. Like, mm-hmm. there's no separation. Oh, he's being— And even at 17, 18, 19, like, you're a kid in a lot yeah. of ways. I, every way except physically, I think. How do we get from high school, middle school, elementary school kids getting in, in trouble, having behavioral issues, to ending up in prison? Well, and I'm not familiar with the term form follows function. No. Um, so I really rock with Lupe Fiasco. Okay. Weird dude. Also possibly, well, I know he has OCD. He's a different cat. But most artists are. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, but I remember in one song, he saw my form follows function. Well, if you look at special ed leading up to the school to prison pipeline, like form follows function is a reason that things are still operating the, ra- the way that they are. When you look at prisons, they look at test scores from third grade kids, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, if X percent of these third grade kids are failing, we know that. That's X amount of beds that we're going to need when they're out of school in 10 years. Really? Yeah. It's sick. It's like straight up. It's, it's crazy. Because I, I was trying to find some, some statistics on like the correlation. Because I've heard that, that phrase, you know, school to prison pipeline many times. Like I, I see one segment of it all the time every day at work. Yep. But I, I'm, I'm looking at like one, one end of it, like very close to actually being locked up or you, you are locked up. You're just not 18. You will be locked up six months from now. Yeah. And so I, I don't have as much experience on the other end of that. Um, I'm like the, the early, the third grade level of that. And so I was just trying to pull what's you do and you don't know it. And this is where it gets tricky. Look at EBD programming. Look at learning center programming. Like you said, it's not academic. There's nothing very academic about it. It's like, basically, man, I'm going to teach you to read well enough that you can do this word find, so I don't got to do no work. Mm. But you're learning how to function in this structure. You're learning how to walk okay. down the halls in single-file lines. You're the, learning the, to— The structure and the discipline itself is is that preparation. 100%. Is that, is that grooming for— It's prison. Okay. It's the next step. Like, you look at the—I um, don't even know what we called it, man, back at Obama, but the behavior room. Where they had like those little cubbies. The the intervention. Intervention. Intervention room. You're basically in segregation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You were well, and sometimes you were literally locked. Locked yeah. in there. You act up bad enough, we're gonna put yeah. you in the hole. Right. That that's what it is. You eat when we say you eat, you raise your hand, you get up to to go to the bathroom when we say we're walking you to the bathroom. Yeah. Missouri just passed a deal talking about school fights are now felonies. I saw that. What in the hell? Dude, and I, I that was one of the stats I pulled. the uh, The number of students involved in in school arrests seventy percent black. Easily, and you know what's funny, man? I see this shit every day because, well, is that a fight or is that a skirmish? There's like legitimately two different categories, and it's one hundred percent subjective. Mm-hmm. Who saw it? Mm-hmm. Who saw that fight between those two black kids? If it's a white lady, hell yeah, that's a fight. Right. If it's me, not nah, it's a skirmish. Right. You know what I mean? Like, how do you? <laughs> what the hell is it? Like? I gotta go look up the definition of a skirmish before I can answer that question. I, you fam, know, I can't answer. It's insane. Yeah, and then you're gonna have now you're gonna also have a felony on your record because of it. And then what are your options but to go back to prison? Because you can't get a job. Now I'm trying to sell you. Oh, go to school, get good grades, so you can get a good job. No, no, fam, you can't get a good job. But. 
you also don't have health insurance, but you have mental health issues. You know what's a great way to deal with anxiety if you don't have health insurance? Self-medicate. Yeah. You know what will land you back in prison if you have a felony? Exactly. And that's, it's, uh, and it just shows the hypocrisy and the insanity of it. But yet our but opiates it, are fucking, oh, let's prescribe you. Oh, well, you have health insurance? Let's get you on some opiates to calm mm-hmm. you down. I mean, I know you remember little Michael Myers that we used to work with that. Dude, and that's the other thing that's, dude, when you are prescribing medication, like heavy medication to kids as young as five, what are you doing to those kids long term? You're fucking dope fiends. You're creating dope fiends. So that yeah. when he no longer has health insurance, which he won't. Of course not. He's not going to. So when he doesn't, what's cheaper than the, the, the fucking prescription opiates that he's getting? Heroin. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's a logical progression. And they know it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, now, okay, I can't get your money from you buying these drugs. But I'm going to get you in prison from buying these drugs. Right. And it's... um, Or at least get some free labor out of you. I'm saying, man, it's outrageous. When even talking about the weed piece... Like, you're talking about kids self-medicating. I know, like, teachers that'll send kids to my office for why I think he might have been smoking weed. I'm like, why? Well, he's, he's really relaxed. And I'm like, so that's a problem? <laughs> yeah, right. Fam, like, he's, he's not bothering nobody. <laughs> Since when is being relaxed at school a problem? I'm saying, fuck, man. And, like, how many of the teachers, when I look back at it throughout my, my career, man, I'd, I'd be willing to bet 70% of my teachers smoked weed regularly. Most Most teachers I know do. And if they're under like 50. Yeah. And I mean, it's I, like most of my friends work in education and most of my friends smoke weed. But they're terrible people because they use drugs. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh, but we're giving your no, kids man, some prescription drink. This 30 grand a year for 60 hours of work every week is stressing me the fuck out. <laughs> and I have to self-medicate <laughs> yeah. because I can't afford to go to the fucking drink. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't have time. Which is more often than not the case. Yeah. It's, I don't know. And it just gets... Even, I don't know we got to wrap up, man, but fucking, we talk about weed and opiates and shit. When I look at what I dealt with in school, like I went to a city school. My school was black and Asian. You had maybe 12 white kids in a school of, Arlington was like legit thousands of children. Yeah. It was probably like 4,000 kids. There was like legit a couple white kids. Um, People weren't getting wasted. Mm-hmm. People weren't popping Zans and fucking doing all the weird shit in the bathrooms. They smoked weed. Niggas smoked weed in the restroom. They smoked weed in the classroom. They didn't give a shit. And it's like, yeah, is that 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 acceptable? And probably not. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's not what you should be doing at school. But but if we could address it instead of pretending like it's not there, you could teach people how to drink or to smoke weed or do things in a responsible which way. Which needs to happen. We have driver's right. education. Like, no, you shouldn't be smoking weed at school probably or at your job probably after this. If you want to go home... And you want to smoke weed in your house in the evening? Who the fuck cares? Because you're not going to go driving around. Go do that. That you're sounds n- great. Right. You're not going to rape somebody when you're high on weed. Right. Oh, you had 10 cocktails. You might go rape a chick Brock Turner style behind a dumpster, man. Like, well, only if you're a piece of shit. But Yeah, 100%. Which a lot of these people, I think a lot of people have that underlying piece of shit kind of. I've been drunk many times and I've raped no one. So yeah, We're on the same page there. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard to not rape people. Just, no. Which, God, that fucking rape culture, which but, is proper. Like, it's, yeah. But again, like, if we could destigmatize that stuff enough to actually talk about it and, like, teach kids about it, you know, like, we're finally getting around to with, with sex ed. Like, yeah, if you never teach kids about sex, 
people are going to have STDs and we're going to have a bunch of people pregnant. Yeah. Same thing with, with marijuana and other drugs. Like if, if we can't ever talk about them and be honest with kids about them, like, you know how mind blowing it would have been when you were 16 to have your teachers be like, yeah, we smoke weed. We also show up to work every day and do our jobs and are like functioning members of our community. Yeah. There's a way to do that. Yeah. You wouldn't have been going around smoking in the bathroom. No. And if your parents could be real with you about that, you know, like, yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, who? we live in the era where who the fuck hasn't? Right. Like, but, we're, the, we're the kids of hippies and shit. Like, that shit was normal. Yeah. Our parents were teenagers or, you know, in college in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Yeah. You smoked weed. And you probably know that, oh, shit, that's not as bad as crack was, or that's not as bad as right. cocaine. Oh, cocaine. Yeah, you said cocaine and party all day. And <laughs> no, like, shit, man. Yeah, there's some things that are not necessarily the best for kids. But uh, well, and, and we could have a real conversation too around like, I, I think there is some, some merit in like, it's different to, to smoke weed or to drink when you're 25 or 30 than when you're 13 or 14. Hundred percent development. De- development of your brain is completely different. You're right. still a baby, and your decision making and everything is is very different at fifteen, sixteen than twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, forty, whatever. When even us talking about the function of education, this should be what it is, right? These, these are this is the landscape that you're going out into. If I had this, and I mean, I work in a pretty liberal setting because of the the population of kids I work with. But like in a lot of schools, if you had this conversation with kids. As a teacher, you'd be getting in trouble. You'd be having a meeting with your principal. Oh, I was talking to a, a mom, super dope lady, super dope. Um, she, my sister had scleroderma, and she ended up. I was her PCA during this time, but this lady suffered from from something similar where she's bedridden. I, I don't know what scleroderma. Scleroderma is is, is a autoimmune disease okay. where I mean, from how I understand it, I didn't get too heavy in it. I just knew that shit killed my sister. Okay, but it um. Your body's attacking your organs, basically. Like okay. your organs are kind of hardening, and your joints are hardening. You can't really, you can't do shit. Okay. Um, and this woman has, if it's not scleroderma, it's some kind of lupus, which they're they're similar. But teachers are brought up. Oh, well, we're concerned that he's he's using. He's wearing marijuana socks, and I'm like, yeah, the little nigga using. probably is using. Like using. He's stressed because his mom is sick as shit. She's talking about moving to Colorado. And she's like, I know he's smoking weed. I want to take him to smoke weed with me. Yeah. If you're smoking with me, that's fine. And you look at it just from a historical perspective, again, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Weed is a normal. Like, even you look at, I don't know, man. I look at people of color, like, in which she was or she is. She is fine with that because mm-hmm. she's like, that allows me to manage this stress. Like, of dealing with this system that I'm in all day that's not built for me, that's basically criminalizing everything I do. Yeah, I'm going to smoke some weed because mm-hmm. now I— I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to react to the fuck shit now. I'm just going to be chilling. Right. I'm going to be relaxed in your classroom. So much so that I get sent out for a behavior referral. And some white lady will try and give you some opiates instead. I'm saying. Yeah, we need to get them on some We, some we love our prescription drugs. The Man. white the white community. Oh, God. Well, Roseville, dude. That's this other thing, this landscape. When I see, we're talking about pipeline, kids being sent to... Prisons, man, we've had, I've, I've seen searches at multiple different schools. I've been in just a bunch of different high schools, man, for various trainings. Oh, we got to stop the training. There's a lockdown. They're bringing dogs in. They're going through. I'm like, unless you have somebody moving keys in here, why are these dogs in here? And really what's your issue is right. prescriptions. 
why are you attacking? Like, you're talking about not addressing the root cause of the problems. These kids selling these is not the root cause of the problem. Mm-hmm. Why are these parents having all these drugs? Why are the doctors freely giving out these prescriptions? Right. And it's like, yeah, your kids are taking them. I've seen kids hauled off in ambulance. They're taking too many Zans, too many perks. And that shit's terrifying. Like, it's mm-hmm. legitimately terrifying. So I'm like, is that kid going to make it? Whereas you smoke too much weed. So you, you fell asleep? <laughs> like, oh, shit. All right, all right man. We'll yeah. see you tomorrow. <laughs> right. Hang on. Well, you might sleep through the last couple of classes and you'll be fine. That's right. Man, you wake up, feel refreshed, you're gonna and you're going to eat more. You're going to eat more lunch. You'll be straight. Healthy, strong bones and shit. Drink some dairy milk. <laughs> That's on our pyramid of things that the you only, need. The only way you can uh, get through that prison lunch is, you know, smoking a little weed first. It, and that's what it is, man. But, yeah, no, I even nurses, man, well, we need to get him on some antidepressants. I'm like, you Dude, don't yeah. think the kid should come out for the basketball team instead? Right. Getting his endorphins going and shit, maybe right. some exercise will... Making some friends, feeling good about himself. Yeah, now let's, shape. Just, let's get you on some drugs, man, so you don't feel <laughs> shit. Like, mm. Dude, that's, yeah, for the third time, that this episode, that's that could be its own conversation, man. The, the, the quickness with which we will prescribe drugs is terrifying, man. Like, and it, it, I think a lot of that started with our generation. 100%. With, with ADD and ADHD being diagnoses, like. Shit just manufactured. Absolutely, man. Like, we got this drug. Can you imagine how much fucking money has been made off of prescribing drugs to kids with ADD and ADHD? It's nuts. You, you, you create an answer for a problem that doesn't yet exist. Mm-hmm. It's marketing at its best. For profit. Like a as, motherfucker. As the Ferengi would say. Okay. <laughs> All right, man. We've gone hella long. We should wrap it up. That's what she said. Ah, crump. It's been a pleasure. Always, always. Yeah, we should uh, we should do a follow up. I'm with it, man. I'm all for it. Once uh, once Ryan returns from the dead, the homeless will we'll resurrect the white Mexican, <laughs> the elusive. <laughs> once we resurrect the elusive white Mexican and start our own cult around it, we'll, uh, I'm with it, we'll have to do another episode. Beam me up. All right, man. Peace. Peace. Thanks for listening to the What If podcast. For show notes, transcripts, and links from today's episodes, visit whatifpodcast.com.